Chapter 21 Omens, Prophecies, and Plagues Asriel too drifted off to somewhere distant. His comatose state propelled him to far regions of the astral plane. He drifted into dreams and nightmares with coherent thoughts fading in and out of his consciousness. Warped, twisted dreamscapes with black and red flaming skies filled the views of his imperial penthouse. Fierce lightning filled the violent skies as winged beasts with shark heads and bright red eyes ruled the air. They blew fire on their prey, flame roasting smaller beasts before consuming them whole. Asriel wore a golden crown with heavy stones and was lord and emperor of all he surveilled, and he could see the entire world. It seemed he was surveying hell or Hades. The entire world seemed to burn from his lofty vantage point. From a high golden throne, he drank from a decorative chalice. There was blood in his cup. It was bitter but delightful. He drank his fill. Then a horn topless servant replenished his cup and drank again. He drank again. Demonic dancers with horns and tails fornicated on rugs of tiger fur and polar bears. Silver trays of human nipples and male and female genitalia lay beside the fornicating devils. They ate them as outdoors, drank blood and sucked marrow from stewed human bones. The charred baby's body turned slowly on the skewer over an open flame. It was a satanic orgy, a feast of demons and devils. The two men wrestled in a pool of blood to the delight of the demons that gathered to watch the sport. Human women kissed with lady devils that danced and pleasured one another. Groups of horse-hung male demons ravished mortal women in brutal double penetration rituals. Legions of snakes slithered on black marble floors and mingled with the perverted maidens of darkness. Black and purple spiders wrapped squirming, screaming fairies in their silky webs. The spiders munched on their tiny throats, paralyzing them with their venom. A roaring fireplace was lit on the other side of the grand room. The heads of the crucified lined his mantle on the walls. They watched Azrael, judgingly from their post on the wall. Their eyes followed him as he moved through the grand room that seemed to increase in size as he walked on. His long purple cape dragged on the checkered marbled floor. He finally reached the long hall adorned with the marble sculptures of warriors from around the world in combat positions. They too looked upon him with frozen fury, pointing swords, spears, and axes at him in frozen assault. At the end of the long hall with the checkerboard floors, there were two large wooden doors with rune carvings and pentagrams etched into the dark oak. He peered inside the door through the oversized keyhole. It appeared to be a demonic cathedral with inverted pentagrams on a huge stained glass window. He saw a naked priestess fornicating with other priestess in a bath of blood. They kissed each other on the lips and tongues while dark crimson fluids dripped down their voluptuous flames. On the stone floor he saw a pentagram with flaming candles around the circle. Within the circle was a woman whose face was slightly familiar. She was giving birth and was in a great deal of pain. The baby didn't come through the birth canal, it ate its way through the uterus and the abdomen of its mother and crawled its way to life. The head of the human boy appeared in the womb. The child opened its mouth to reveal fangs with bloody meat in its teeth. 
The woman died and lay in the blood and burp. Shortly, an archdemon nearly the size of a building picked up the handsome monster child and cradled it in its gigantic hands. The familiar-looking child stared up at the monstrous figure and smiled. I shall call you Asriel, my son, and you shall conquer nations of the earth and rule them with an iron fist. The monster king promised, kissing the child with its wicked snarled lips. The demon stepped over the child's mother like a piece of trash that had been discarded. Then the devil and the devil's child left the demonic cathedral and never looked back. Asriel, a distant voice seemed to beckon him from a dream. Asriel, wake up, please, the voice pleaded with him. He felt like he just got to sleep and he didn't want to stir, but the voice was so persistent. He figured he didn't want he would find out what the urgency was about. He yawned and slowly opened his eyes. He saw Sophia, Yasmin, and several of the world's high-ranking military officers. It was slowly coming back to him as he looked around and he realized he was in a hospital bed. Asriel hated hospitals and overnight stays. If he didn't get medical treatment that Sophia couldn't perform, he insisted on being in and out. The pain surged. He took a moment to identify the source. He looked at his right arm. It was gone. He had also lost his right leg and had severe burns on the lower right side of his face. A mild sensation of panic set in as he realized he wasn't going to walk out of the hospital that day or quite possibly ever again in the future. He's awake, the military men in formal uniform said to one another. Asriel said, did his best to nod to them in acknowledgement. He struggled to speak. The slightest movements were excruciating. I'm gonna need a moment alone with my wife. He managed to speak. The visitors and Yasmin agreed, and they gave Asriel and Sophia their privacy. Give it to me straight, Doc, Asriel demanded. Sophia sighed and began to weep. It's really awful, Asriel, she cried. I don't know what that strange light was, but it messed you up really bad, Sophia said. Nimrod's body was destroyed. Lana was vaporized, Sophia told him. I never really liked her music anyways, Asriel said. Nimrod is still online, he asked. Yes, only the body was destroyed. He will always remain on the cloud, Sophia explained. He was designed, we designed a more fitting suit for him, and it will be completed shortly, she affirmed. I have a whole new catalog of weaponized prosthetics for you, Asriel, Sophia said, glancing at his missing right arm and leg. What do you mean? Asriel asked, noticing he was missing two limbs. We had to amputate what was left of your right arm and leg as well as replace your lungs, she pointed out. She wiped away a tear forming in her right arm, in her right eye. Your spine, she cried. Oh my God, she shook her head. It was months of continuous robotic surgery and we're not even finished, she said, wiping a running tear, gliding down her cheek. What about my dick? He asked, not sure if he could or could not feel his penis. Sophia smiled through her tears. It's all there, she said, patting it gently. Thank heavens, Asriel smiled. Anything else, he asked. 
You now have a 3D printed artificial lung on the right side of your chest. We wanted to stabilize your breathing before we initiated the rest of the prosthetic grafting, she explained. Additionally, I want you to be awake to pick your prosthetic, Sophia mentioned. Thanks, Sophia, Azrael managed. You always take such good care of me, he added. Sophia blushed with red, teary eyes. I love you, Azrael. You know this, she told him with a sniffle. You've been in a coma for 13 months, and a lot has and a lot has happened, she explained. Yasmin Diamond and a few military commanders are standing by to spin you up on the state of the world, she spoke. I can only imagine, Azrael mumbled in pain. He did his best not to hit the morphine drip, but he had to give in. I'll send Yasmin in, Sophia said. She gave his hand a gentle squeeze, then left the room. Thanks, Sophia, and I love you too, he said through a wired jaw. She turned the smile and proceeded out of the hospital. Shortly after, Yasmin came in. She looked like she got hit by the same bus Azriel did. You sure look like shit, boss. But I can honestly say I've never been happier to see you, she said, wiping away a a forming tear. Azriel would mildly tolerate tears from his wife, but most certainly not from his second-in-command in the middle of a contingency. Get it together, Yasmin. Azriel grumbled his command. And for the record, you ain't so hot yourself, he countered. When's the last time you slept? He asked, noting the brownish bags forming under her eyes. Sleep? Yasmin questioned, as if it would be a difficult to answer. A few days ago? I don't know. Time's moving really fast, she said as she pulled a chair up next to his bed. I gotta spin you up on the current events and I have to do it quick, she explained. Azriel nodded. After this fuckboy showed up, it literally went to hell, Yasmin said. As promised, we have been stricken with drought, fam- with drought and famine. I don't know how they're doing it. Some sort of bioweapon? We don't know this yet. She confessed. There's old types of plagues. Megiddo 69 is still at large. And there are zombies in the megacities, Azrael. Not just the ghettos, like in Lesser Heaven. The elite are dying and turning undead, she warned him. But now there are UFO sightings every night. Sometimes they pop up broad day for everyone to see. On top of that, there have been mass abductions. People are vanishing right in front of our eyes. Our media teams cannot spin this shit, she told him warding off her hysteria. What do you mean, disappeared? Azrael asked. I mean, 144,000 people vanished off the face of the earth. Some were even live on TV, she explained. I have no explanations for this shit. Truthfully, Azrael, I'm fucking scared, Yasmin said. For some reason, this made Azrael laugh. Yasmin, you're the toughest woman I know. We face far worse odds than this, he told her. You mean to tell me a little apocalypse got you shook up, he grinned. He could feel the synthetic lung swell when he laughed. It hurt like hell. Do you remember when we were searching for the plasma tech specs during the blue balloon? She asked, referring to the second U.S. Civil War. We were in that abandoned weapons lab building, she asked. Yes, the zombie horde in L.A. It was on that dead CEO's iPhone 24. Yeah, 
We were there during the outbreak of what? He thought about the date, 2025, he asked. That's the one, she confirmed. And we ended up clearing seven floors, jam-packed with zombies, she reminded him. Yeah, we ran out of ammo, and the only reason we survived is because we found an abandoned armory where that armorer blew his brains out, Azrael reminded him. What was that poor chap's name, he wondered? Walter, yes. He remembered reading the ID card on the headless body of the security guard. He did not look like his photo. That's the one, she affirmed. We spent three days and nights in a howling den of death, Yasmin continued. When we finally emerged from the zombie hive, you thanked me for my bravery, she told him. I laughed because I was scared shitless, but did my best not to show it, she said with a nervous laugh. I think you did shit yourself a few times now that you mention it, he joked. I just remember being hungry and telling myself I was fighting my way towards the juicy stick, Azriel smirked. But it was pretty intense, I remember, he told her. For the record, I sharded, she corrected him, and I'm using that mission as a benchmark. Compared to what we faced in the last three weeks, Zombie Horde LA was a walk in the park. This, Azriel, she paused to open the shades to his hospital window. The room brightened as the sun crept in. This is the end of the fucking world, she pointed to the orange smoggy sky over the world that seemed to burn forever. The Mediterranean Ocean was a giant puddle of blood. Reports from the ocean from around the world confirmed other bodies of water were red too. Asriel took in the sight and recalled the eerie resemblance to his fever dream. He didn't recall all of it, but he remembered the weird-looking skies with flying fire-breathing shark demons. There were no flying sharks in the orange skies of the New World, but his dreamscape was straight out of a nightmare. But I'm the son of Satan, he thought, remembering the devil kissing his newborn monster. He looked at the disfigured right side of his body and felt a nauseating wave of pain. He felt very human, fragile, and mortal. He was confident he was a full-fledged human being. That that flashing light that lit up the sky was called wormwood, she told him. It's some sort of radioactive rock and it's poisoned the water supplies. The isotopes evaporated and rained down on different parts of the earth the last time it rained. After that, it's been nothing but droughts with an occasional trinkle, Yasmin explained. You can't go outside without NBC gear now, she said, referring to the nuclear, biological, and chemical protection suit. A lot of people are dying, she continued, and then there's these creatures, she searched for the word to describe them. We're not even sure if it's extraterrestrial or mutation from the space rock, but these Things have been tormenting the planet for the past three weeks, she said, holding up her thin tablet for Azrael to see. It showed some type of locust-like arthropod creature with a sturdy exoskeleton. The winged insect had claws with a paralysis venom. It had rows of sharp teeth that could chew through wood, clothing, and human flesh. Worst of all was the sting from their long scorpion-like tails. It produced malaria-like symptoms for weeks. While most victims recovered in 15 days, 
There tended to be long-term side effects like blindness, depression, fatigue, and an occasional case of insanity. She breached. She briefed. Sounds about right, Azrael confirmed. Hardly amazed. You don't seem the least bit surprised, Yasna noticed. Maybe it's all true, Azrael pondered aloud as he stared at the burnt, scorched sky. Or maybe they're making it true, he said oh, aloud incoherently to Yasmin. Are you alright? Yasmin asked, leaning over to check on Azrael. Never better, he, dic- he spoke. T- Never better, he spoke. He dictated to Yasmin's tablet. Computer, read aloud revelations. He paused to think of the chapter. What is it? He considered. Chapter 9, verse 1 to 12, he re- remembered, combing through his years of Bible study. He was by no means a Christian, but was an avid Bible scholar, among other books of theology. Please be advised, this is an unauthorized reading material for the Edicts of the First World Order, section 109-316, the computer replied as the Bible was illegal to read and own. Override by order of the first global citizen, Azrael commanded. The computer complied. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw the star fallen from heaven to earth. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came out of the earth, and to them was given power. So the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle on their heads, were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and of sound their wings was like the sound of chariots or many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. The power was to hurt men for five months, and they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. Azrael paused. To consider Abaddon, huh? He considered as Nimrod had chose the name Apollyon, which was Greek equivalent to Abaddon. The irony isn't lost on me, he said before he continued the scripture. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. One is one woe is past. Behold, still more woes are coming after these things. Revelations nine. The computer said with a sophisticated British accent. That sounds about right, Yasmin said. Eerily uncanny, she added. Do you mean to say? Azrael interrupted, sensing her inquiry. 
that the book of Revelations is actual prophecy? Azrael asked. Yasmin nodded. Don't be ridiculous. Do you think Apollyon is the king of the abyss and the locust? He scoffed. It's age-old science fiction. That's all, he insisted. Fiction writers are real prophets, he spoke. When you're making up the story, you're bound to get a few things right in the future, particularly when you have 2,000 years in between. Azrael explained. If anything, Revelations is a playbook for some villainous asshole pretending to be God, he said, turning to face the window. Which reminds me, Yasmin said, there's a new Christian terrorist group called the Doomsday Prophets, she told him. They're another thorn in our side in this apocalyptic nightmare, she sighed. They're a cyber, a band of cyber criminals devoted to crippling our cyber defenses, specifically our robot army, to facilitate the road return of Yadhovah Christ. She rolled her eyes. Are they aligned with our friends in the burlap robes? He asked, referring to the man with the staff and the one that could spit flames. Negative. She shook her head. No sign of those fuckers. Yasmin growled through clenched teeth. We have a very... We have every resource on this manhunt, manhunt, not a single lead, she said with frustration. Everything they said is coming to pass, so we must hold them accountable, she insisted. At the very least, they will die for the wounds they gave you, she promised. The world is scared, Azrael. Hell, I'm pretty shook myself. There are still a lot of brave people out there with the will to fight, Yasmin told him. I know we have a strong robot army, but our troop strength is over a hundred million bots at most. Now this cyber terrorist group is posing a threat to our arsenal, Yasmin insisted. A hundred million battle bots can make short work of a billion men, he countered. I fear no terrorist organization. Upgrade our cybersecurity, he told her. We'll come, she indicated she will comply. I watched Apollyon cut down a squad after squad with his lasers during the battle at the Vatican. She shook his head, but the prophet melted and destroyed him with a single blast, Yasmin reminded him. We're not faith-fighting mere men, Azrael. We're facing something far greater. The scary part is those prophets were just the messengers, she spoke. You say that to say what exactly, Azrael inquired. We can't do this alone, Azrael, Yasmin told him. There are over two billion warriors rallied up and ready for blood. They are waiting your recovery so they can pledge their fealty to you and the Empire, she explained. Empire? Azrael asked. Although the First World Order spanned the globe, local leaders were permitted to govern if their policy was in accordance with the FWOs. After the first global citizen declared the f- a global state of emergency, he was permitted powers very much like a dictator. Still, the governors had their own security forces and resources. Under the First World Empire, everything, including the citizens themselves, became imperial property. It was only a matter of time, Azrael thought. He considered the violent purge of the Senate. It had to be done. He reminisced upon their futile attempt to snatch power. While the senators had power over the people, per design, they held none over the first global citizen. The FWO design was inspired by the late American federal government, 
the differences were that the first global citizen or the global president was elected for life and had full control over the military and the purse. The Senate acted like acted as liaisons between the people and the first global citizen. Israel liked feedback, and if the people submitted a great ideal through the Senate, he made it law. While the First World Order used democratic terms like senators and elections, it operated very much like an autocracy. The citizens still had a degree of freedom of speech. Prior to the edicts of the First World Order, they even had freedom of religion. While the Constitution was somewhat lenient, there were no checks and balances to prevent the first global citizen from becoming a tyrant. What changed? Azrael asked. To be fair, we've been operating like an empire from day one. Yasmin, he told her, while the FWO spanned the globe, its jurisdiction was limited to the megacities and the FWO property. The Vatican massacre wasn't exactly legal. It was like the Iraq war. Still, when you're a powerful world government, you go wherever the fight against terrorism takes you. For one, your approval ratings are through the roof, she exclaimed. The world hasn't seen ratings this high since the Truman era. We're talking high 80s, low 90s sometimes, she hyped him up. You stood up to those jerk-offs after they made all of those threats on live TV. Granted, you got your ass kicked, but when you went into that coma, the entire world mourned, Yasmin explained. Then it all went to hell and the people united to fight one common enemy. You just inherited the biggest army in world history. We've been manufacturing robots non-stop all year throughout your coma, she explained. We have a hundred million battlebots alone. All the world's governors have surrendered their authority and security forces to you. We have a standing army of 1.9 billion warfighters, she boasted over their silver lining. This isn't a rebranding op, Azrael. This is full support from the people, Yasmin conveyed. Nothing like an alien invasion to bring everyone together. Azrael joked, mocking Reagan. I think Reagan said something like that in the speech, Yasmin considered. Anyways, before the attack, your ratings were in single digits. I thought we were going to have to defend against a global revolt because of the edicts, she shared. Now, even some of the former Christians are supporting you. They pray for you. Some of the citizens even pray to you, she spoke. Many feel God has abandoned them or they didn't meet the cut. A lot of Christians are pissed off because they thought they were going to get raptured and skip this shit show, she used her thumb to point outside. Rapture theory, huh? Azrael said, watching the world burn from his window. That's it, she agreed. They thought they would be spirited away before the Great Tribulation. She shook her head. Azrael laughed. That's the great test of the flesh and the faith. He quoted Revelations 14.12 with a dramatized voice. Here is to the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. He spoke as if from memory. It was easy to be a Christian before the 
edicts of the first world order. It's a bit different when a lunatic autocrat is threatening to crucify you for your faith, he added. Yasmin smiled. Like you? She asked Azrael. As long as you know it, Azrael replied. So I'm an emperor now? He asked, smiling as much as the pain would allow him. Yes, my lord. Yasmin joked, but Azrael liked the sound of it. Do I have a crown? He wondered. Yep, as soon as you're up and ready, you'll initiate the, the crowning ceremony, she explained. And then, Azrael said, we have to figure out how to stop this invasion and save the world and humanity. Yasmin shrugged. Azrael smiled. Very well, he said, removing the IVs and various tubes from his body. What are you doing? Yasmin asked, concerned for Azrael's health. I'm going to get fitted for some prosthetics. Then I'm going to get my crown, he confirmed. Thank you.